Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 22. That's where we're going to find ourselves today. Uh, we're going to go through the first 12 verses of that. So that first section of chapter 22. Uh, we're getting into some interesting territory uh, here with the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, but while you're finding that, I was going to set this up. I was going to reference a television show that I uh, used to watch and really enjoyed. Uh, it dates me a little bit. There's a lot of folks who are younger than me in the room by the show Seinfeld. Uh, the, fi- the finale, the last ever episode of Seinfeld, which I actually referenced years ago in a different sermon for a different reason, but it must be lodged in my brain. Uh, the last episode, one of the significant plot lines in it is this. Is that, so there's these four main characters, Jerry, Elaine, George, and Kramer, and they find themselves in this small town where they're unfamiliar, they don't know the ins and outs of this town. And while they're there, they happen, they're standing on the sidewalk and they witness a carjacking happening in front of them. And this guy uh, is like pulled out of his car uh, by this guy who's taking his money and whatnot. And it's a comedy show if you don't know the comedy. But uh, while they are watching this happen, rather than intervening, rather than trying to get the guy to stop or trying to help this guy, they just stand there watching, even videotaping and crack jokes amongst each other about this guy and what's happening. And, uh, and then they think their day's just going to go on. They continue on with a phone call or whatnot. Jerry hangs up the phone, and this police officer kind of saunters over and tells them that they're under arrest. And he, he starts referencing some legal code, blah, 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 of the county that we live in. And Elaine, the one character, says, what? No, no, we didn't do anything. Uh, and she, she's like, we didn't do anything. And the officer says... This is a direct quote. I looked it up. He says, that's exactly right. The law requires you to help or assist anyone who's in danger as long as it's reasonable to do so. And that, he tells them there's this law that's on the books now they call the Good Samaritan Law, and they're under arrest precisely because they didn't do anything uh, to help this guy. And the, it cuts to this next scene, and they're in jail in this local little county jail, and George, the one character... Uh, just kind of rhetorically uh, is saying, why would we want to help somebody? That's what nuns and Red Cross workers are for. And he's kind of like bemoaning his situation. Like, why would they expect us to do this? Like, we're not the type of people that would help anybody. He just thinks it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, But I mentioned that scene, and it's lodged in my brain, but I mentioned it today because I think in those four characters we can kind of, I hope if we're honest, see some tendencies in ourselves uh, that it's not just something funny or just something that is purely fictional but that we're all I think prone at least a bit towards self-centeredness and towards refusal to be inconvenienced like when people are in danger or when they need help. Uh, We have this deep-seated belief I think in our hearts that our responsibility morally in a situation like that is just not to harm the person instead of thinking I have a responsibility to help them. And those are very different things. Like if the baseline is just I'm not supposed to harm people and that's all I'm called to, that's a very different thing from I'm actually called to help. I'm called to provide positive action. That's not just something limited to nuns and Red Cross workers. It's something that responsibility to positive action to help is something that is to be true of all of God's people, not just a select few. And this text today is going to teach us, I think, that very thing. Uh, that, that we actually do, as the people of God, have a responsibility not just to not harm, but we have a responsibility to help 
like to look out for other people, to even at a great inconvenience to ourselves. And so I'm going to read this text here in just a moment. It's several laws kind of, of strung together, uh, several of them kind of clustered together here. But if you don't know where we're at in Deuteronomy, just real briefly, the book of Deuteronomy is a second law. It's like a retelling of the law of God. Uh, God had given the law first back at Mount Sinai when the exodus had first happened. Moses had went up on the mountain, had come down with the law, taught it to the people. Now 40 years have passed. That older generation's died off, and they're finally about to go into the promised land. And before Moses dies, he's giving the law again. Uh, to this new generation, helping them imagine what life in the land of Canaan is going to be like and things there to do and not do, ways there to operate. And so we're getting into some stretch here in Deuteronomy where there's going to be uh, various laws. Uh, there's your heading in your Bible. Mine literally says various laws. That wasn't Moses said that. That's just a heading uh, that the, the, in, the translators put in there. But we're getting into a section that has various laws. It may sometimes be hard to like fully tie a nice bow around them exactly, uh, but we'll do our best as we go through these things to see what sort of common threads there are. And so I want to read for us Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 1 through 12, and then we'll walk back through it, try to summarize it, apply it, even today, help it point us to our Savior Jesus. So follow along your copy, Deuteronomy chapter 22, start at verse 1. Moses says this, he says, You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house. And it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you and that you may live long. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited, the crop that you have sown and the yield of the vineyard. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together, you shall not wear a cloth of wool and linen mixed together. You shall make for yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. This is the word of the Lord. You can probably note, even as I'm reading that, the challenge of trying to summarize and uh, compress these things together. I don't have some like perfect way to do that if you're, if you're waiting for that. But I, I do think there is some common threads here, uh, pun intended with the closed language here, uh, some common thread uh, that, uh, that we can see, at least a bit, through these laws and others, uh, that I want to summarize this way and then show you where we see this in the text. Uh, very simply, I think what we can learn from this text today is that you, I, you're called to live your personal life for the common good. 
Like, you have a responsibility as a believer, if you're a person of God, you have a responsibility to live your, quote-unquote, personal life for the common good. And I was trying to think through how to categorize these. I, I couldn't come up with a, a perfect way to do it, but I want to walk through these in two categories. There's different commands here uh, that I want to put into two categories that I'm going to call fixing and mixing. Uh, laws about taking action to fix things or anticipate problems that people may be in, and then laws that are about mixing of things and, and seeking to keep things apart that should be apart. And so uh, that first word, I want to show you this, this responsibility that God's people have, that we have to not just not harm, but to take positive action to help people, to actually look out for people to uh, anticipate their problems, like the roof one, or to alleviate their problems. Like if we see that, we, we're sometimes called to anticipate problems, we're sometimes called to alleviate problems, but we do have this responsibility that could kind of come under that umbrella of fixing things, of problems that other people find themselves in, not just us ourselves. And so I want to show you a few of these commands and how I, I think they fall into that category of the need to take positive action. So if we start back at the beginning, verses 1 through 4, uh, go together as a chunk, I think. These, these couple commands, these situations that Moses is, is trying to prepare them for. And he's, it involves animals and finding things that belong to someone else. And what do you do in that situation? And I think in those verses, he's calling them to look beyond what is convenient for them. Uh, to look beyond just what I feel like doing, what would be easy, simple for me to do. Look beyond what's convenient and look out for the good of others. If you were paying attention as I read that first little paragraph, verses 1 through 4, you probably saw three times, and yours may have said it slightly different, where Moses says, you may not ignore it. Did you, know, did you hear that repeated a couple times? He, he's imagining these scenarios where they are going to see something, some sort of problem that somebody has, or where something is lost or an animal is hurt, and he knows the temptation in their heart is going to be, I see that, I don't have time for that. Like, and I know that's going to cost me money and energy. I'm just going to pretend I didn't see that. I'm going to like, hide myself from it. I'm going to ignore that and just move on my way. But Moses is telling them in these two situations, you have a responsibility to help. And the situations he's imagining, first is that you find something. He starts with an animal as an example, but bronze it to be really anything that belongs to somebody else. He says, you happen to find it. You happen to see it. And he tells them in those first few verses, or verse 1 even, he says, you can't ignore that. You shall take them back to your brother. So if you know, oh, this is brother so-and-so's ox. I, need to, I'm, I have a responsibility to now walk that thing back to his property, help return it. Or he says, if you don't know who it belongs to, or if you do, and maybe it's super far away, and you couldn't reasonably take it back, he says, you need to take it back to your house, and it shall stay with you. Not to keep it, right? It's not like finders keepers, losers weepers, right? It's like, you keep it to give it back, right? That's what he's saying. Like, it's not just, oh, lucky, fortunate me. He's saying, even at cost to yourself, the things you're going to feed to this, the time you're going to put in to caring for it, you are called to do that. But ultimately, it's to give it back to the rightful owner, right? And then the, the second situation he imagines in, in verse 4 is if you come across a, a neighbor who has an animal that is hurt, that's fallen down, it, it's so heavy that that person can't lift it themselves, he says you have a responsibility to not ignore that, 
but to take of your time, take of your strength, and go help that person to lift up that animal. And so there's this responsibility not to hide ourselves from those problems we see that other people have, but to insert ourselves, to inject ourselves, to take action even at loss to ourselves of time and money and energy. And so that's verses 1 through 4. I'm going to skip verse 5 and come back to it in a few minutes. But in this category of fixing, uh, verse 6 and 7, I think, could fall into this similar category where he's calling God's people to not just look beyond what's convenient, but I would say to look beyond what's immediate and to look towards even the future and trying to look out for people even yet to come in the future. And it's this strange thing to us where he talks about imagining coming across a bird's nest and there, you find it either in a tree or it's fallen or something and there's a mother bird and there's eggs or, or baby birds uh, that are there. And what he commands them to do in that is he says, you shall not take the mother with the young, right? So he, he's saying essentially leave the mother In verse 7, let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you and that you may live long. That seems super strange and random to us. And like, what is that about? We're not given an exact explanation of the law, uh, of why uh, he gives it to them. But I think the best explanation that I can have, even based on how he ends verse 7, is that Moses is wanting them to have a longer term view than just my next snack or my next meal. Right? Because he knows if I take the mother right now, I may get more to eat right now, but there's going to be no eggs in the future. Right? And so you gain for yourself like a nicer, fuller meal in the immediate, but you forego eggs to come, more birds to come. Right? And so it's this idea of don't just go for the immediate satisfaction. Have a long-term view of your life and even of the, the environment, I think, uh, there's ecological things going on with this. But he's saying to, I think implied in this, is look out for next year and next generation. If we just take every animal that's grown and eat it, every mother and eat it, there's going to be no longevity of the, these food sources to come. Uh, one commentator said this. Uh, he said of this passage, he said, long-term prudence should set limits to short-term greed. I thought that was a very well-stated thing. Long-term prudence should set limits to short-term greed. And so the simplest thing, if you're just thinking of yourself, would be eat as much as you can, gain it. And he's saying, no, think of the people to come. Think of the next year version of yourself. Think of next generation version of your family and look out for them, right? So it's cost to yourself, but it's gain for others. The last one I think that we could put in this fixing umbrella, taking action on behalf of other people would be verse 8. This is a law that Moses gives to them about their houses and even how to construct their houses when they finally go into the land. Which, side note, I think when they would have heard the beginning of verse 8, I think their hearts would have just soared. The, when you build a new house. That would have been super exciting for these people to think about. They'd been living in tents. They'd been uh, slaves the generation before if they had lived back then in slave quarters in Egypt. Now they've lived in tents for 40 years. And he's saying, when you all build a new house... And then he gives them rules, not just about making it how you want it to be and like what you think would be nice and the features that you would want, 
But he gives them a responsibility to build something extra that is called a parapet uh, on the top of their roof. Uh, if you don't know what a, a parapet is, uh, we don't have those typically on buildings today, but if you could imagine their houses that they would usually build back then, they would usually have a flat roof. They wouldn't have like angled roofs like we usually do today. They would have had flat roofs on which they would have had meals. They would have had parties. They would have taken naps. You read through the book of Acts when Peter gets his vision of the sheet coming down from heaven. He was on the roof, right? Like he was praying. Like people would hang out on the roofs. And you could imagine if there's children up there, if there's people who've drank a bit too much, if it's dark, if it's all these sorts of things, there could be all sorts of accidents that would happen, right? Where people could fall off, they could be harmed, they could even die. And so what he tells them to build is this parapet around the roof, which would have been like if this is the roof, a parapet would have been something they built probably like waist high or so. Uh, that was a... a, a like a barrier of sorts to keep people from accidentally falling over the edge that if they fell over it was probably because they intended to uh, that, that they're not accidentally having harm or even death come upon themselves and Moses putting a responsibility upon the homeowner the home builder to build this thing like it's an extra thing you may feel totally confident like every time I'm up there I'm gonna be careful I don't need to build this thing but he's saying you need to build that even on behalf of other people even on behalf of their maybe stupidity or their carelessness or their accidents you have a responsibility to look out for them uh, as the host as a person who's gonna have them make sure you build that parapet all the way around your house and so that's not just seeing these last two of the, the nest and the parapet, it's not just alleviating a current problem, but it's anticipating a future problem, like a hypothetical problem and trying to look out for those people, look out for even the hypotheticals and the possibilities that could take place in their life. And so these laws, I think, they all are, are similar in some sense that Moses was laying a responsibility upon the people of God and God was through Moses laying this responsibility on the people to not just look out for yourself but to look out for others to invest your time to invest your money to invest your resources to alleviate the problems that others are facing or to anticipate problems they could face and try to 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 head them off to to prevent them and laws like these, I think, are helpful for us when we fall into that mindset like those characters on Seinfeld where we just start to think, my responsibility as a human, as a citizen, as a Christian is just to not harm people. That's absolutely right. Like, we are not to harm people. But texts like this, even in the Old Testament law, call us to more than that. They call us to more than just not hurting they call us to help, to, to positively look out for the needs of other people and to intervene even when it's hard for ourselves. It's no coincidence that Jesus said this, but then the Apostle Paul twice in the New Testament summarized, the, he said that the law of God, that even what we're reading today, could be summarized and fulfilled by the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. I, I'm going to put these up on the, or we'll have these up on the screen. In Romans 13, uh, Paul said this. He said that the commandments, the law of God, are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Not just don't harm your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. And then in Galatians 5, the same man wrote, 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so twice he is saying what Jesus himself had said, that we are called to do good. We are called to positively love our neighbors, uh, to, to seek to serve them, lay our lives down for them. And Jesus could teach this. Paul could teach this. But Jesus himself could teach this because he is the exemplar of this, right? He is the one who... who at immense cost to himself, like unspeakable cost to himself, like saw our problem, right? He anticipated our problem. He saw it, and instead of hiding himself from it, saying, man, what fools, like what rebels, like why should I invest anything to help these people? Rather than looking at us in that way and just saying, you know what, hands off, God the Father, you can deal with them. I'm not, I'm not harming them, but you can, you can deal with them. Rather than just passively hiding himself and walking away from our predicament, he inserted himself, didn't he? Far more than just taking an animal to his house and paying a bit for food. Far more than building a parapet around his house. Far more than foregoing one meal for the sake of future meals. Jesus laid down his life for us. Like Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus willfully did that for our sin, for our rebellion, to fix what we had broken, to reconcile the things, the relationships that we had strained. Jesus inserted himself. He could have walked away. He could have, in judgment, walked away from us and left us to our own devices, but he did the exact opposite. And love and compassion toward us, he loved his neighbor as himself, even to the point of taking our sin on himself and suffering upon the cross, being punished in our place so that we might be forgiven. Jesus is the exemplar of that. He didn't claim his own rights, right? He didn't claim, like, I did nothing wrong. I, I don't deserve this. Like, these people are the ones. He didn't do any of that. He did not hide himself. He inserted himself and died in our place. And he is the example to us. All of us who've placed our trust in him, who've turned from our sin and turned to him in faith, he is now our example that we are to follow in life. That we cannot claim to follow this Jesus and then when we see the problems of other people, just turn blind eyes and just say, I want nothing to do with that, too inconvenient for me, I'm doing my part, not harming these people. We have a positive responsibility to help. That we have a positive responsibility to, even at loss to ourselves, to help people, to, to provide aid to them, to provide relief to them. That's why I loved hearing and having Eric share on this particular day. We have a responsibility to do this. And we need, brothers and sisters, especially as American Christians today, I need this, you need this. We need to see ourselves as more than just individuals. Like we think so much of just what do I want to do? Like, what, is, what do I feel compelled to do? What do I want to do with my weekend, with my money, with my time, with my house? And we tend to think so much individually instead of collectively. Moses was trying to hear, and God throughout his word is trying to help us as human beings live collectively. To see that I have a responsibility to look out for my brothers and sisters. I have a responsibility to help my fellow human beings. I'm not just living for myself 
The early Christians, like right in the early days of the church after Jesus had ascended to heaven, I love some of the descriptions in the book of Acts. It talks about how they had everything in common and they would sell their possessions and give to people who were in need and they would open up their homes and they weren't just thinking, what's convenient for me? What's easy for me? They were trying to see where is their need, where is their hurt, or where might there be? And I want to invest myself towards fixing those things, towards caring for those people. And that is the same call that God puts upon us. That could be, application of this, could be just in simple gestures that we do. Of when you, I mean, think of those first four verses when you find something. I doubt you're going to find an ox or a donkey just on your drive home. Uh, I doubt that. But we do sometimes find a wallet, a purse, a phone, is something like we find things all the time and is our first instinct to think sweet what can I get out of this or is it think man this belongs to somebody I want to do what I can to get it back to them uh, which is our, our first instinct I think will speak to us if you see somebody stranded on the side of the road literally this week there was a, a guy stranded right outside of our house it was a complicated situation um, but that God sometimes brings things in your path people who need help and you need to have this first instinct to try to help them how you can and to not think I gotta get to work I gotta get to church I gotta get to wherever like our instinct should be to help the people that we see who are in need it could be this spring helping an elderly neighbor right, with their yard, uh, helping a widow with uh, their, their uh, lawn care, those types of things. It could be providing meals for people on meal trains who have had surgeries or babies or things like that. that. Those are inconveniences to yourself, time, money, energy, but that is trying to establish a positive good for people who are hurting. And that is what God calls us to. So maybe simple gestures. It could be grand gestures though. Like Eric, I praise God for you. I don't know where you went, but I praise God for you and the work that God placed upon your heart to start an actual ministry that has ministered to hundreds of people now who are hurting, who have been in need. Could be grand gestures like that. Applying this text could be, and thinking of this egg situation, could be if God has entrusted you with children, for example, is to try to think longer term than just what can I provide for them now? What can we just enjoy and have in this moment? And try to think, how might we want to restrain ourselves now so that we can provide X, Y, or Z later? Uh, th those types of financial decisions could be made. If you're an employer, think of this parapet application. One thing you could do as a boss or as an employer would be to think, instead of trying to think, how can I get away with paying my people as little as possible and just leaving them to their own devices, is we should be protective of them. We should try to provide uh, safe workplaces. We should try to go above and beyond even to our own cost a safe place to work and to, to provide for the people who are under our care. Or with this roof, and just think of how you are with hospitality in your dorm room or your house or your apartment, wherever you are, uh, how do you do hospitality? Do you try to anticipate even the needs and the problems of your guests? Or do you just wait and react? A parapet was planning ahead, trying to anticipate. So do you think about those things? Uh, or last application here, uh, when there are serving needs in the church, when there's people who are hurting, when there's holes in ministry teams, things like that, instead of just saying, ah, I'd rather not do that. It's like, that's not my thing, that's not my jam. Your instinct should be, I think, as a Christian, is I can help with that. 
Like, I'm willing to help with that. Like, that should be our instinct is to run to opportunities, not to run away from them. I just wanted to publicly thank even the Y songs this morning. Something as simple as my wife was supposed to serve at the check-in desk this morning. And one of our kids got sick yesterday. And she's trying to find somebody to fill in for her to not leave a void. And they graciously said, we'll do that last minute. Like, we'll take our morning and start it differently than what we did. Little things like that are, are, are ways we can live out texts like this. Say, there's an opportunity. There's a need. Somebody needs my help. I'll do it. That is what Christ did for us, and that is the most huge understatement I can make, that, that he stepped in where we were in need, but that is how we ought to live on behalf of others. I do want to say as an aside before I get to these mixing laws, I think we do live in a challenging day in that if he's talking in these first four verses of seeing a brother's ox who's, who's gone astray, seeing an animal that's lost, finding a, a thing that uh, has been lost by someone, with the interconnectedness of our world, with the internet, with television, things like that, we see tons more of problems in the world than what any generation before has. And it can feel very paralyzing to us because we see homelessness in our community. We see war in Ukraine. We see, I mean, all sorts of things. You could make a long list every single day of the problems that you see, that you're aware of in the world. And I don't think God would want us to take a text like this and think, because I've seen that, I need to help with everything. That I need to help with alleviate this and that and this and that. And you are not God, right? Like you do not have capacity to do that. I do not have capacity to do that. We are not called to, uh, to fix everybody's problems. But what I would challenge you to think is the ones that, are physically in your life, like actual neighbors, actual life group members, actual co-workers, actual relatives, actual people in your small group, those people you can actually see and touch and you know what their voice sounds like and you know their situation, those are the people that God would call you to help. Like sometimes we like to just virtue signal about fixing the world's problems and make these statements on social media and things like that about the big problems of the world that we can do very little to actually help with and we look right past the people who are in immediate need right in front of us. And those are the people whose donkeys we have seen, whose ox we have seen, whose hurt animal we have seen. Look around you in your actual life and seek to take action to help them, to be a representative of Christ for them. All right, those were the fixing, the, the taking positive action. I want to talk about some of these mixing laws because there's a, a common thread uh, of these as well where uh, the Lord through Moses here gives several laws that are about mixing of different items, uh, mixing of genders, mixing of fabrics, mixing of animals, mixing of seeds. Uh, and these could seem very strange, foreign to us, but I want to try to frame this uh, the right way and help you see relevance even for you and for us today. Before I explain a few of these, I, I wanted to say why I think this was such an, these types of things were such an important thing to the heart and mind of God himself, is that if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, if you go to Genesis 1, like when God created, and we have that narrative of how God created the different parts of, of the universe and of the world and the things that live within our world, there is this common theme throughout Genesis chapter 1 of the word or phrase kinds. 
or according to its kind. I wanted to just read a few of these. Like Genesis 1.12, you can just listen. I mean, if you want to turn back to it, you can, but you'll get the point by the repetition of this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 12 says that the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.21, a little bit later on, says, God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good. Then Genesis 1.25, as creation continues, it says, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind and God saw that it was good. Then the next thing that God creates is human beings, okay? And when God creates human beings, you don't see that word kinds. There's not different kinds of human beings in, in one sense, but there is in another sense. When God creates human beings next, he says, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created them male and female he created them and so the kinds of human beings is there's two there's male and female so there's this theme runs all through creation before sin ever enters the picture of God designing things and creating things according to kinds and categories and it's life functions best when we respect those things when we don't just try to recategorize things and do our own things, when we don't seek to mix those things together. And so here in these laws, I'm just going to briefly be able to explain these. And I know you all will have tons more questions, uh, especially about verse 5, than what I can do justice to. I'm always glad to talk more. You can discuss this in groups and whatnot more as well. But I want to show you a few laws here about mixing and then share why I think God gave these. Okay, so verse 5 is the first one in this mis mixing category. And this would be referring to what uh, in our common vernacular we would call a cross-dressing, right? He says that a woman shouldn't, shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak, right? So that's the command. It's kind of very general. We're not even told specifics of what that means, of what is a, a man's garment like that has this kind of broad term that could have meant even more than just clothes it could have meant like stuff they're carrying like tools or weapons things like that he's saying that a woman shouldn't wear those things and then the the second command is more specific about clothes he says nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak but we're not told like what make what those categories mean right like we're not given contours or edges of what those things mean but I think the intent of it is clear and even the generalities of it should mean something to us that that God is trying to say broadly speaking that men are not to present themselves forward to society as a woman and women are not supposed to present themselves outwardly as a man. That, that there is a design that God has created. Those are the kinds of humans, right? Is men or women. And those are known, those are expressed even outwardly and visually to people in different societies. And it may look different at different times. What is a feminine dress or garment in one society may be different from another. But the Lord is saying when those things are established in a community, you respect those things. 
right? Like you don't seek to present yourself as the opposite of what the Lord actually made you. And he speaks strongly about this, doesn't he? He says, whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. This was not a trivial thing to the Lord. This was an important thing for him is that men show themselves outwardly to be men. That women show themselves outwardly to be women. And this, I wish I had like another hour to talk about this because I don't want anybody to hear me saying things I'm not, but I also don't want people to think I'm not saying things that I am. Uh, but the Lord would still command this. This principle is still carried forward even when you read like First Corinthians chapter 11, like in the New Testament. There's this principle of respecting outward uh, pictures, actual, outward expressions of what masculinity looks like and femininity looks like that carries forward even in our day and age. And I, the Lord, I mean, this is an important word. This was one that was actually not given as best as we can tell back at Mount Sinai. At least wasn't recorded. So this would have been an initial time, I think, that Moses is sharing this with the people of God as they get ready to go into the land. And we don't know why it may have been a temptation for them when they entered that land to do that. Maybe it had to do with religious practices. But to anyone who would bemoan our current cultural landscape, it's like we're some uniquely twisted generation because we have this issue come up of men presenting themselves as women or women presenting themselves as men. Do you not read this? That this has been a human temptation and expression throughout time uh, that, that there has always been for various reasons tugs towards expressing ourselves as the opposite gender and th our world today is trying hard to to blur those distinctions not I mean there are some who are trying to to live as the opposite and that's wrong on its face I think but even more so our world is trying to say there's no distinction at all there's no division at all there's no difference at all between masculinity and femininity but this text and Genesis 1, even more, and countless others would say the contrary. It would say, no, there is. Even in creation, even before sin entered into our world, there was a goodness in the differences between men and women that should be expressed even in how we dress. I am not going to answer questions in this right now about what does that mean for a, a, to dress as a female, to dress as a man? Uh, I'm not even going to try to do that. This text doesn't even try to do that. But I do think we need to go upstream against the current of our culture today on this. That we are not just to be responsive to culture saying, you know what, maybe there's not a distinction. Maybe we can just live differently. Maybe even a man can present himself as a woman or a woman as a man. We, I'm not trying to be trite on this, but I know there's been things even in the news this week about how you know what a woman is or uh, who, like, we can know those things. Like those are knowable and we need to go upstream against the current of culture on this and stand on the word of God where he has spoken. So that's one of the mixing laws. Verses 9 through 11 are another mixing uh, set of mixing laws. He, he lists several kind of in, in repetition here. Verses 9 through 11, he talks about sowing different kinds of seeds next to each other. He talks about uh, not having a ox and a donkey plow together. And then he gives this command in verse 11 about not wearing cloth of wool and linen that are, are woven together, that are mixed together. The, we're not given specificity again about why, right? They're just given as kind of with the crops we are. He says, lest the whole yield be forfeited, right? 
Uh, but with the other two, we're not even told why. Uh, it may have been known by them. They may have, as they heard this, known what Moses was getting at. But at minimum, he's saying, when you're sowing seeds in your vineyard, if I'm imagining this right, if there's rows of, of vine branches uh, that are, 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 have been planted that are growing, he's saying, don't, between those, like insert other seeds and try to kind of capitalize and grow these other different kinds of crops uh, in between them. Uh, the, the animals, he's saying, I mean, interestingly, one is a clean animal, one's an unclean animal, but then one is huge and the other is smaller. He's saying, don't have them pull together. I mean, the one could just end up getting drugged uh, along. It's not going to be effective. It's going to steer off. Those may have been reasons. The stronger one will just end up pulling. Uh, the cloth one, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what uh, would have been behind that of, of mixing wool and linen together, but he, for these people, was forbidding it, right? And the, the question I think would be is why? Like, why is he forbidding these things? We can speculate a bit, but I think in general, we can, we can certainly say this, and I think it's alluded to with the crop language in particular, about the yield will be forfeited, if you try to mix seeds and get creative and whatnot, the, what I think we can learn at minimum is this, is that things function better in our life when we respect the natural created order of things, right? Like when we try to keep the categories separate that God made separate, instead of trying to always get creative and, and, and weave these things together, either literally or metaphorically, like that, that when we... Uh, try to do that when we try to get creative and, and act as if we're God and get overly creative and mixing things it's often not even going to be beneficial the yield will be forfeited right like that it, it doesn't have the gain that we think it will I was trying to think of a, an illustration little kids maybe could even understand Anybody played with Play-Doh recently? Uh, okay, my daughter has. All right. So if you take two, if you can remember when you were a kid, if you take two different colors of Play-Doh, you may like be able to mix them together for a little bit and make some cool little thing. But those things are never coming back apart, right? Like parent, I see some parents laughing. They know what I'm talking about. Like you mix the red and the blue together, you might be able to make a cool flag or something like that. But you're left with some weird purple after that, like splotchy purple after that, that there's some things when we try to get creative and mix them together and, and try to act as if we're the creator and we can just rearrange everything however we see fit, that doesn't typically end well. Like God calls us to live within the parameters of a created world, a designed world, and we function best when we live in those parameters, when we live in those boxes. Right? So that's a practical level, but I think symbolic level, metaphorical level with these mixing laws, I think what God would have been intending to communicate uh, would be something deeper, is that the, I think he's communicating through these that God's people were not to mix with the Canaanites. Right? You see that again and again and again and again in Deuteronomy is that as they go into the land, they as the pure people of God aren't to mix with the Canaanites and adopt their practices, adopt their lifestyles. And I think he's embedding even in how they sow seeds and how they weave clothes together and how they plow their fields. He's wanting them to say, see again and again and again and again, don't mix with them. Like your life is to be distinct. Like I have called you out as a nation. I have given you my law to follow. Don't stoop to trying to live how they live. Don't try to live partially for God but then co-opt Canaanite practices. Like that will not turn out well. You'll end up having a mess of both. 
Like he, he's calling them to distinction as the people of God, to distinctiveness, to not mix their life with the lives of unbelievers, with those who are not the people of God. Compromising in those ways would not lead to health. It would lead to death. It would lead to, to judgment of God. I want to get to this last verse. Uh, verse 12 could feel very strange to us. It's not exactly about mixing things, right? But it does have to do with clothes. Uh, he, he tells them in this last verse, he says, not to make, or that they are to make tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. I doubt any of you walked in here this morning. I don't have those like four tassels on the corners of your shirts or dresses or sweaters or whatever. Uh, we don't do this today, but this could feel like God was just trying to be like fashion police or something. Like, hey, this is the best way to dress. Uh, make sure you have four uh, tassels on the corners of your garment. If we just read verse 12 in isolation, I would be confused what God was telling them and why. But... When Moses said that to them, they would have had a whole different connotation that we actually can know from the Bible itself. Like if you look at Numbers, this will be on the screen, but if back in Numbers chapter 15, so this would have been uh, years before this, Moses had been told by God this. God had told Moses to tell the Israelites, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel, listen to this, this is what they're for. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes. And so God had given them these tangible things, even on the clothes they would wear, the cloaks that they would put on, where they were to have these tassels on the corners, not just to look neat or to be fashionable, but to mentally remind them when they put that on, or when they saw it on the clothes of their friend, or their husband, or wife, or kids, or whoever, like when they saw those even on other people, they were to remember the law. They were called to, to remember, we're supposed to live a certain way. We're supposed to trust this God with our very life. And so that's why he, in Deuteronomy, is telling them, keep doing that as you go into the land. You're going to be tempted to forget the law. You're going to be tempted to, to mix with the Canaanites and, and co-opt their things. Keep putting those tassels on your clothes so that you guys remember to do what I have said. To, to remember to follow after the law that I have given to you for your good. And so even as these brothers and sisters would have gone into Canaan, they would have been every day, or as often as they would change, putting on these clothes that would have these tassels that were to be a tangible, visible reminder to follow God. And part of that law that they were to follow, which we've just been reading today, was not merely to not harm, but to help, to positively help each other. Those tassels would have been even a reminder that the closest equivalent I could think of to these tassels in our day and age uh, was something when I was a kid and teenager that many of you probably have these, the WWJD bracelets. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, that I had those things, had different colors, had like mix of colors and things like that on those. And if you don't know what those are, it was an acronym for what would Jesus do? And people would wear those, I would wear those, trying to have just a tangible reminder on your very person that I'm called to live for Jesus, and I'm called to, to think, how should I live my life? Like, what would he do? How would he call me to live in my life? Um, but I, I think a better 
thing. And I'm not saying to, to resurrect those, okay? Uh, there was some corniness to those, I know. Uh, but there's seriousness to them too. But I think a better way to think about it, even a, a similar question, but a better question to ask as we're trying to motivate ourselves to be selfless, as we're trying to motivate ourselves to serve other people, even at lost ourselves, isn't just to imagine the hypothetical, what would Jesus do? But to think of the objective, what has Jesus done? Right? Whatever that acronym is. W-H-J-D. Like, what has he done? Because we don't just have to speculate about how Jesus would react in a situation. We have seen in his life how he has lived for others. How he has lived for our sake, even as his enemies. We can look at what he has already done for us. Not to some external law or hypothetical thing to try to compel myself to, I know I really should do this for people because the law says to do this. Don't just think, what would he do? But think, what has he done for me? And say, I want to live like that. He has lived that way for me. He has laid down his life for me. How can I not lay down my life for others? Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a closing song. Let me pray for us. Father, we uh, know that uh, that as you looked upon us our, in our helpless state, like we sang earlier, as you looked upon us, you did not hide yourself. God, you didn't just even fix problems that, that surprise you. You knew the problems that we would create. You knew the rebellion that we would enter into in advance. And yet you still saw fit to send your son Jesus, to to not hide from our problems, to not hide from the cost it would be to him to serve us, but you sent him to lay his life down in service of rebels like us, rebels like me. I thank you for your kindness to us, your compassion upon us. We pray for your help that uh, that we may follow in the footsteps of Christ, that as those who've been served by him and saved by him, that we would represent him and how we care for others and pray that you would guard us from the temptation to mix our lives uh, with the lives of this world even our past tendencies and may we live as the pure people of God obedient to Jesus laying our down laying down our lives for the sake of others we pray that you'd be honored even in what we sing we pray this in the name of Jesus